You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yo, welcome back, Surf Splendor. This is your host, David Scales, chiming in after what was an unbelievable uh, Eddie Aikau event at Waimea Bay on Thursday of last week. Hopefully, you watched that live. It was an absolute spectacle. So we cover that in depth in this show. It's kind of a recap episode of the Eddie, and then a little bit of a preview of the upcoming 2016 WSL World Tour, which begins on March 10th is the opening day of the waiting period for the Snapper uh, Snapper Rocks contest, Quicksilver Pro, Snapper Rocks, the Gold Coast of Australia. So lots to look forward to in the coming weeks, back in full swing of the contest season. But the eddy is really where we're going to focus our attention here today. Scott and I break it down, and I hope that you enjoy that. If you are new to the show, welcome. SurfSplendorPodcast.com is our website. We have links to, um, actually not even links, we do have links, but we have videos of everything that we discuss in this show embedded on today's show page. So you can watch it all there. And then um, we have every past episode of Surf Splendor archived on our website as well. Everything is archived for free. There's 120 past episodes. Pretty deep archive at this point. It's been a few years now. So I think your podcast app, they mostly only archive the last 50. So you can listen there, but if you need anything deeper in the archives than that, just go to surfsplendorpodcast.com. And while you're there, free, feel free to leave a comment in um, the comment section for every show. Chime in on your thoughts, you know, between Scott and I and whatever else is happening. All right. Enjoy the show. Share it with friends. I'll be back at the end to sign us off. Thanks. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Down on Surf Talk Radio. It's Saturday, February 27th. 27th. The 27th of February. Down on Surf Talk Radio. David Lee Scales, Scott Bass with you. And I guess this is a special edition, but they're all special. Such an odd day to be recording. This is a day off for us, man. What are we doing? It feels wrong. It really Saturday. does. Normally we're on a Tuesday, but anyway. David, you sent me a text. You said, you know what? We need to do uh, a special edition for the Eddie, the Quicksilver in memory of the Eddie. How could we not? Right. You have to. Exactly. It's not even an option. So, the Eddie ran. I mean, here's the deal, dude. The Eddie ran in fantastic fashion. And we've eaten crow a few times on this show before. I'm going to argue that this is an opportunity again. Like, we were shaming Quicksilver for holding off the event, which at the time looked like a bad decision with those two other swells. And then they greenlit it when it actually shouldn't have run, so obviously they didn't run. But in hindsight, this was the day of days. Like, they nailed it. They nailed the call, uh, not by design, but just by circumstance. And it's an amazing, it was an amazing event. Yeah, well, they they just simply couldn't run it the other day when they had to call it sure. off. 
but they could have run it the previous two swells. Right. Yeah. Let it be known before we shame our show too much or okay. bag on our. You may recall the last podcast we did. I called. You did for sure. I you said, did. you know what, Quicksilver, they have the opportunity here. It looks like Thursday there's going to be a massive swell. They're going to have to run it. And to their credit, as you mentioned, Quicksilver stepped up in a big way. They did Nailed a great it. job. I mean, uh, on the downside of the swell too, because two days prior it was maxed out. It was like the biggest. Well, those are two different swells. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the waves were huge. Um, for big wave surfing, this event seemed to have it all. You know, no there was kidding. a lot. It had, it had the big drops. It had the big wipeouts. It had, you know, the feel good story with sadly with Brock a little passing, but sort of the, you know, the spiritual concept that Brock brought this swell. Mm -hmm. There was the tube ride by Kelly Slater. Um, there were, you know, just crazy huge waves with closeout sets and all sorts of drama with the Hawaiian Water Patrol. There was the Cinderella story with John John Florence. There was the potential for a 50-year-old man who's won it before named Ross Clark Jones to win this event. Yeah. So there was all of that. So we had this great finish as well, right? John John Amazing. needed the score, and he got the score in the last, second to last heat of the day. Yeah. So it really did come together, and my hat is off to the folks at Quicksilver and to the WSL for, for a, a great event, a really great event. Phenomenal event. Um, I really do feel similarly to you that like all of those sentimental and magical elements did kind of align and overlap in this event. And so in hindsight, I feel like we kind of dishonored Eddie by claiming conspiracy theory a little <laughs> bit and be and talking about money and like, oh, no, they're not going to step up and spend the money and making it about that because you recognize through watching this event. Um, There's way more cogs in the wheel there are but also like the magic i mean surfing is so ingrained in um spirituality you know and being one with mother nature kind of and this eddie event represents that better than any other event and sure somebody's profiting off of it and you know i don't mind could, profit right is this whole show going to be us with egg on our face is that what you've no no fun? no, not not at all that's okay i mean maybe we should i just want to start off the show that verbalize <laughs> verbal because i don't think the last show is i mean the last show was just like let's assume there was a lot of, of all this, this all of our shows are assumptions basically you know, because we're sitting here in a garage trying to figure it all out. I'm not. Yeah, exactly. I'm not shaming us, really. I'm just pointing out that the beauty of what we do in our sport and what we love is was all summed up in this event, you know, and we get away from that. At and times. I would say that that if you listen to last the last show we did, we were basically like going bagging on them, going, God, why aren't they running it? How come they didn't run it this year? It's El Nino. They need to figure it out. We did sort of say, hey, look, they have an opportunity here to make it all right. Yeah. If they pull the trigger on Thursday. And of course, if the bay calls the day, which it did. And they did that. So exactly. hats off to them. They they did a great job. We'll and critique when they deserve it and we'll praise when they deserve it. And they deserve it. a lot of praise. praise. Tons totally. of praise. Totally. So hashtag Brock Swell. Hashtag Brock Swell. That's what it is, right. man. So basically, it, they ran the event five days before the deadline, which would have been uh, February 29th to run. And then it was five days prior to the deadline, five days after Brock's passing, actually. And um, the format, the contest format, we should really point out because I found it to be really, really 
awesome. Like it works for this format. I'm wondering how it'll work in uh, if it would work in smaller waves. But essentially, the the format is they run eight heats. What was there? Twenty seven invitees. Something like Something that. Right around seven that? guys a heat. So seven, seven times eight, fifty six. No, no, no. Because there's every oh, yeah, surfs two. Yeah, heats. that's right. So seven times four. Seven times four. Yeah. So twenty eight surfers. Um, everyone surfs twice. There's a hundred points possible per wave. There's five judges for each wave, giving and they give they allocate twenty points each. So five judges, twenty points each, hundred points per wave. Your first four waves get scored per heat, and that's it. So you, even if you catch eight waves in a heat, only your first waves, first four waves get scored, and then your best four waves throughout the day get added together to make your final score. So two waves from the first heat. Two waves from your well, second Well, it could heat. be all four waves could in one heat or the other. Right, exactly. Um, but I really, I loved the format. And I mean, obviously, it's the same format they've been doing with the Eddie in the past. So it's not a new format, but I loved it. Yeah, it was good. I mean, um, I'm a big fan of the whole leaderboard thing, you know, because everybody's in the, everyone's in the running till exactly. the very end. Exactly. And in the past, as they noted a lot of times, Greg Long won the previous event in the final heat of the day. Like yeah. got, I don't know if it was all of his scores, but definitely got his hundred point ride in the final heat. Yeah. yeah, so you can go from you know last place to first essentially. And there was the 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 Clyde Icow, um, you know, um, portion of the story. You know, the fact that the sixty six year old brother of Eddie's out there <laughs> charging. I mean, that's gnarly, man. To be sixty six years old, so gnarly. I don't think you realize until you're close to sixty six years old how heavy that is. Clyde um, riding a single fin in his first heat as well, which didn't look like the right choice after a few waves, <laughs> but charging. I mean, he was char- proper charging and actually getting fleeced. He got he wiped out gnarly on a yeah. few. Um, and so let's talk about the waves, though. I mean, the waves were pretty much as maxed out as it could be without while still being surfable, right? Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, it's funny, you know, I think I... I went on there real early in the morning and I looked at it and from the Surfline cam, I was going, I don't think they're going to run it. It doesn't look good. And then within an hour, I had egg on my face. <laughs> like totally. Clyde Aikau's on TV going, it's as big as it's ever been. You know, like, I'm like, oh, really? Well, what did I miss? I know. But, I mean, he did say that and people did say that. The biggest, best Eddie conditions yeah. that it's ever run in. Would you agree from what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty disheveled swell with a lot of wind on it. You know, the one year that... Um, that Bruce Irons wanted it was really pretty clean yeah and you know so it, but it was me yeah it was like the most meaty the meanest you know the most raw well it's funny I liked all those elements about it because we've we've kind of also shamed big wave surfing watching it from as a viewer of these contests and how it can be boring and there's long lulls and then in this winter again we've been corrected in that the uh, Piahi Challenge was amazing to watch. It was an incredible event. And even the Mavericks event was really entertaining. The Totos event was pretty entertaining. And now this, I would say, while it's not as perfect as Jaws, the ruggedness made me really, really enjoy it. And the rawness and the difficulty of just surfing that wave and being in position. And it's crazy. Yeah, you don't get closeout sets at Piahi. You know yeah. what I mean? You get waves that'll break outside, but the, the idea that the bay closes out brings a lot of drama to it because you've got the water patrol that has to deal with all of that. And for whatever reason, the mystique of Waimea Bay and the Waimea Valley, it, somehow it sort of 
personifies itself in the contest arena in that competition right there for i i don't know if i'm it's an amphitheater if i'm voicing that correctly but yeah i mean there's just so much energy there and so much and there's so much history and heritage and lore at waimea bay that it almost feels like it has to be that big size wise for it to like it would be a real disappointment if it was you know as they say it's got to be 20 feet all day long right and you know, it's it's one of those things where, gosh, much like the Jaws event this year, the waves were so good for this event that it's going to be hard to live up to it again. You know, I, this whole winter is going to be hard to live up to. I it don't, is. I don't think that we're ever going to live up to it. It's insane. Yeah, it's been one run after another, and you know, record-setting performances one after another. The other element about the wave that I like um, as a viewer of a contest is. There's no way to like chip into the wave. Like you have to take off under the ledge in the steepest part of the wave and just make this death defying, as they kept saying, knife in the drop. There was that one huge wave that Ross Clark Jones yeah, caught that I was, was actually off that. the reef yeah, a little bit. Exactly. That he was able to roll into. But for the most part, you can't do that. You have to sit under the ledge. Yeah, that was an amazing ride. I, you could maybe say that was the most amazing ride of the event. Even um, though it wasn't under ledge, it was that huge. Yeah, you just felt that he was just holding on, that, that he had no control over it. Like, he was just going so fast. It was just crazy. So crazy. And then the other great, the other most, me- uh, well, not most, me- but the m- a memorable ride was Mason Ho's wave, where he just ate complete crap. And it was true, like, they said, it, I think Freddie P said, it looked like the Brock Little wave. Yeah. And that was just insane. And Jamie O'Brien had one semi-similar to that as well. The Masons, that was the fastest I've ever seen anybody go on a surfboard. He was going full speed. And, like, it's impossible. He had never been that fast before. Impossible to hang on. Obviously, at a bump or two. Yeah. But, um, I mean, that was remarkable. Had he made it. 100-point oh, ride. No had he qu- made it, he would have won. It yeah, was, that insane. was just over-the-top mental. And he was close to making it, I, I think. Know. He was just you know one bump away. He right? made a couple bumps, for sure. Um, Ross Clark Jones, so that giant wave. I got to say, I love Ross Clark Jones. I mean, he's been in and out of my awareness over the years, and I've kind of liked him at times. I never really thought too much about him. Loved him in this event. I was actually rooting for him to win. Well, I sort of was too. I'm I'm glad John John won it, but yeah, we, you know Ross Clark is sort of right in my wheelhouse. We're the same age, so I sort of grew up surfing, watching him surf. He's from Avoca on the central coast of New South Wales, which is where I, right near where I used to live. So I and and he's just he's kind of got that. He's just pure aggro Australian, yeah. you know. He's just got that Aussie froth and uh, so raw. He's a character for he sure. He really is. And the other thing is, John John's going to be surfing in this event for the next twenty plus years. Ross, who knows how long Ross Clark Jones will be surfing in it, you know? So I kind of wanted to see him win it. It would have been a neat way for the event to finish up for yeah. sure. But let's talk about John John Florence because, um, you know, aside from the event, you know. I look at him and I, I say to myself, first of all, can we agree that that while his mother was a big part of his story growing up, his father really isn't in the picture. I mean, we don't we know he has a father. I've actually met the guy, but he's he's not in John John's life, especially in like those formative years, like fourteen to eighteen, where it just seemed like you knew John, you know, mom John was there, but there was no real no. like definitely 
you know, male, older male adult in his life. But this kid is mature beyond his years. He's humble. He's intelligent. He's well-spoken. He's well-liked. He's just like a marketing dream. And then you add, oh yeah, he's the best surfer in the world. Yep. On top of that, how did this guy become who he is without a father role model in his life? How, where did he learn these things? And I think it's a, a testament to the North Shore community is, yeah. and, and to the guys like the Kelly Slaters and the Freddie Patachias and the Mark Healy's and all of these guys, Jamie O'Brien, all of these guys that that John, John and John Pizel probably, whoever they are, all these so-called uncles on the North Shore that sort of kind of either kept him on the right path or just showed him the way to behave because it, he's pretty incredible. I mean, it's it's an incredible deal. No, I fully agree. I would say that it's definitely, it takes a village and that North Shore community is a village. But the surfing community is a village too, you know? And so the surfing communities really reared him as well. And I mean, Kelly Slater, you know, would be the best example of somebody who doesn't necessarily live on the North Shore, but is part of that tribe that comes in and is that that uncle for him. But I think that is a really salient point um, because given that kind of an upbringing without a father figure, yeah, there's a million examples of guys who go wayward yeah off the rails totally i you know i always root for the character guys which is why i I root for and i think you do too which is why we root for kelly slater and and greg long and shane dorian and and frankly adriano de souza he's a character guy i like that about him i certainly i'm not emulating his surfing style right but guys with character yep are guys that we want to root for. Right. Which is why sometimes we're like, ah, eh, Gabe, I don't know, you know. Not not to be confused with Matt Wilkinson is a character. You're no, talking I mean, like I mean, yeah, like strong moral, you yeah, know, like conviction. Um, like I said, like intelligent, well spoken, yeah. have some humility, humble, um, yeah, exactly. say the right things, well liked, but you know, like just you can tell they're like good people, which is why I brought I was thinking to myself how'd this kid get like this, you know? And, and it led well, me to I the mean, thought that it was this community of North Shore uncles that must have sort of guided him along. Yeah, and I, I can't recall. And his mother shouldn't be Of course. Out, no, you know, no, no. We've got to give her a lot of credit. We love her. Um, we talk, somebody was talking about him, maybe it was on the webcast, about they've never heard him brag and never say a negative word about anybody. Just... He's just a positive, hardworking kid who surfs eight hours a day, love, like gets along well with everybody, never says anything negative, and then has this unbelievable ability. So it's really, you know, it is great. And then it's great to see somebody achieve the level of success that he has and still be the same guy. John John, the youngest uh, Eddie, Eddie winner. winner by a couple of years. I don't know if you saw this. Greg Long was 25 when he won. Bruce was 25. Kelly, 29. Ross Clark Jones was 34. Noah Johnson was 25. Mm. Keone Downing and Clyde Icow were both 37. Denton Miyamura, they don't really know his age, but Denton wasn't 23 years old when he won in 1984. So John John, the youngest ever. And what does this say about a young man on the verge of a new WSL season coming up. He's already put it out there that he's like gunning for the title and he's training. He's training with this kid Pellegro MMA guy. So, I mean, this has got to just, first of all, from a fantasy surfer perspective, you and I have got to be going, this is John John's year. And this just, I mean, can you imagine going to surf like five foot snapper after winning the Eddie? Yeah. Talk about confidence level through the roof. Yeah. 
Well, he always had the ability, but the one thing we've always commented on is that he doesn't necessarily have the cutthroat drive that Adriano and Kelly have. So this may be the new year for John John. Um, I'm not even sure that he doesn't have it. He just doesn't display it. I think he has it. And I think now he's kind of, he's kind of, you know, there was a thing I think on Surfline or somewhere where they were basically saying, this is the year, you know, like I'm gunning for the title. Okay. Did you see that? No. Yeah. I didn't. No, there was a thing out there. Well, one thing I will point out about John John, a couple of surfers actually in this event, Kelly would be one. John John is another. Greg Long is another, is how important style is in big wave surfing. And I mean, it is in surfing in general, but you almost don't factor that in because just charging the biggest, best wave is kind of what's most important. But when you see one of them take off on a wave, you then recognize how how significantly different they look than most people. And John John, the best way to describe his style is casual. You've seen him surf casually at really death-defying waves like Pipeline or doing massive airs that look unbelievably casual. But I've never really seen anybody charge 30-foot Waimea that casually before. Even Kelly, who looked casual, wasn't taking off on the biggest waves. Kelly was taking off on some of the smaller waves and looked almost like he was just playing around or like figuring out a new board or something, even though it was an old board. But John John, on the other hand, just looked really just like, it was no different than Aukai, you know. And you know what? What drove John John to victory was his ability to handle the impact of the explosion. You know, the whitewater moments yeah. where look, a lot of the guys were making the drop, but it was how could you handle the 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 tumultuous, you know, quantities of water that were exploding around you? And John John made a couple of miraculous moments where you're just like, "There's no way he didn't." How did he not get swatted off of his board? The one and he needed the score on. Exactly. That one in particular. Yeah. And that was that was like almost a closeout wave. Like crazy. It did close out after he kicked out. Yeah. Yeah. No, crazy. Um, but that was the difference between the guys getting big scores in the event and guys not was those who were getting run down by the whitewash were getting sixty point rides, while those guys that were making the drop and the white outrunning the whitewash we're getting 70 and 80 point scores. And I don't even know if you outrun the whitewash there, but what you do need to do is after you've made the drop and you you do a bottom turn to kind of get some speed, you have got to keep speed going. You yeah. can't just burn out all your speed on one bottom turn and then come to kind of a, a static place and then have the whitewater take you over. And I, I imagine John John and his boards and his ability allow him to keep kind of like doing little drivey turns off the fins and the rail to kind of keep the thing going. Well, that might be true. The other difference I saw was in the angle that they took off on the drop on. And I think John John is able to take off more critically and angle, whereas most people are going straight and trying to make the drop and then bottom turning. And that's when they get taken out by the whitewash. John John Kelly, uh, Shane Dorian, you know, angle and make this kind of on the rails edge drop which allows them to be out in front of that energy. and fast like they're, exactly. they're gaining speed here instead of losing all their speed exactly yeah so th- those are the subtle differences between the guys winning the events you know and um the guys who are just hardcore chargers which there are quite a few of those as well um i thought the pulled back shots i mean you're watching a lot of it on the the um, WSL web feed or Quicksilver's web feed and their tight shots to get close-ups but I've seen some footage since then that like Peter King shot from the beach pulled back or from the highway kind of where the houses are 
it looked so much more terrifying and treacherous from those angles, the pulled back shots. Yeah. It looks absolutely unsurfable, unruly, and you recognize why guys are getting run down by the whitewash. If it looked easier from the other angle, this gives you a better understanding that no, like it's like in order to find one where you can outrun it, it needs to be just the right little bowl of the wave, but the rest of the waves unmakeable, you know, much better yeah. perspective. What about, um, do you have any thoughts on the, the broadcast production itself? Um, I watched the event with my wife and I came to the realization that a lot of the guys that are um, announcers and or color guys really need to be guys that are being interviewed, not guys that are interviewing others. Good point. Like, I'd like to see Dave Kalama interviewed. I'm not so sure he's classically trained to be an on the beach. Not that he did a bad job. I'm being sort of hypercritical here, but if in fact the WSL is taking it up to this TV level where we're with NBC or CBS or whatever, um, you know, you, I just felt like, let's interview Dave Kalama. Why is he asking this person this question? They should be interviewing him. Same with, and I came to this realization with Strider. Somebody should be interviewing Strider Agreed. so he can go, oh, it's amazing, it's insane. Like, we don't really, you know. Yeah. Like, well, that's, the Dave Kalama one's the best example because if you weren't a surfer, if you were just watching it on CBS, you'd be like, who's this guy that they've got? Like, you don't have any reverence for Dave Kalama. So you would just be expecting a professional broadcaster exactly. and he's not. So you and I, we give him a pass on the right. professionalism because we have reverence for him. Right. So that that is a really good point. Your point, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> what else do you got? Um, well, because I'm running thin on. No, no, no. Topics. I got I got a couple points from the events that I from the event that I really think are worth discussing. Uh, Twiggy said, just in reference to John John winning, Grant Twiggy Baker said, John John Florence rode the shortest boards, took off the deepest, and made the steepest drops. That's what you need to do to win the Eddy. So I think coming from Twiggy, that's pretty significant, and it's absolutely true. Um, there's a judging element that they applied in this cons, uh, contest that we haven't seen before, and that is the judges are allowed to adjust their score after they've been set. Really? So Daniello Coto, who's a Brazilian surfer, he's a goofy footer in this event, got scored a 91 on one of his waves. Then... 10 minutes later, the scores got adjusted down to a 69. Um, and the commentators talked about it and they acknowledged it as happening and being allowed to happen. Right. And I thought that that was really interesting. I thought that the score was accurately adjusted. Like I didn't think it was a 91. Yeah. But in the moment with all the hype, the judges threw out that score. And I don't know if they adjusted it because they saw a few more waves being ridden or they just kind of let the hype settle down and rewatched it and then go, oh, wait a second, that wasn't as critical as we thought. Yeah. Because it really wasn't. It was a big wave, but it wasn't that critical. Yeah. That's why they adjusted. But I liked that. I, I, I thought that that was actually a good thing to do. Now, the reason why it works in this competition format as opposed to a small wave format is the other competitors aren't developing a strategy based on their competitors scores so if you're surfing snapper with one other guy and he has a pair of sixes and you have a seven then you got to wait for a wave that's better than a seven five or an eight or whatever um in this format you're just sticking to your game plan and i don't know that they can even hear the scores being read out so they're not at all influenced by his score yeah so i think that is one key factor that allows it to work here but what do you think about that in general 
Yeah, I, I think for this event, it must make sense. They've thought it through and that, you know, I didn't notice it. Um, as you sit here and talk about it, at first, I'm a little skeptical. You know, yeah. it, it, it provides opportunity for guys like you and me to go, this is bullshit. You know, why they, you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like, look, it needs to be kind of, once you put the score down, that's the score. You can't go back and change it because it just, like I say, it, it provides the opportunity for there to be skeptics. See, I feel the opposite. I feel like it eliminates the skeptics because there's no concern about emotional influence, like the judges being emotionally influenced and therefore throwing Well, I think out. if you're gonna if you're gonna look at uh, one particular wave and and rethink the score, as a competitor, I'd be like, well, you, if you're gonna look at one of them, you need to look at all of them. You got to look at every single which ride. They, if you're gonna start tweaking on, maybe. Well, here's the the reality is, um. You're supposed to judge within the scores in that heat against the waves within that heat. You know, it's like you can't judge it versus right. the previous heat. A 10 right. in this heat is a 10 in this heat. It doesn't have to do it with the previous heat. So with that being said, you want the two best, your two best scores to be scored against the other guy's two best scores within the context of the heat. Why not then review it at the end and see, okay, whose were actually the two best waves of this heat? And let's, figure out what the scores are after the fact i like scoring it in the fact because guys do develop strategy and adjust their game plan against oh, the it gives other us the spectators something to gauge it, it does but i would almost like for at the end of the heat if you could just push pause on the event and then rescore it and see how you know yeah i don't know it's that's, an interesting it's it, it does open up a lot of drama a lot of it does but it's kind of an interesting theories, thought you know it is it you know I'm not so sure that that's going to, I don't know. That, that yeah, I'm not advocating weird. for it. I'm just thinking about it, you know, because there's an element of that in this. Um. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious. And there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references. And now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free that's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free terms and conditions apply you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. 
Another thought that I had, which you kind of touched on, was uh, the Brock swell and some of the similarities in terms of visuals that we had with this swell and Brock's surfing at Waimea in the past. The Mason Ho wave, you know, that he wiped out on looked eerily similar. Even the angle that it was shot from looks so similar. Yeah. And I bet you could take a a screenshot, you know, and pull it back and put it right with the Brock wave and have a side by side. Somebody on Instagram should do that. I haven't seen it yet, but I thought the same exact thing. And I knew we'd be talking about it and then thought if somebody hasn't done it by now, I'll do it. Yes, and you'll Um, give me credit for it. Yes, I will. As the uh, the director and the producer, by the the way, back to your point on judging. Okay, you would think that as you go into the event, you're like, okay, if we're going to score a 100 point ride here, what does that look like? And a 100 point ride in this event looks like a massive set wave, one of the biggest set waves of the day, that's caught from the outside, obviously ridden successfully steep late drop critical deals with the white water the whole wave closes out a hundred point wave has to be a, a closeout wave he rides the white water through and maybe or maybe not does something on the inside you I have to because of bruce's wave. maybe yeah. so as a as a judging panel you say to yourself okay this is what a hundred point wave looks like now let's just go back from there based on what we just saw right so here's a ride okay it's a set wave it's not the biggest not the smallest he successfully completed it yeah. okay that's a 49 or what you know right. what i mean so i imagine as a judging uh, as the head judge you would want to tell that judging panel okay just remember what a hundred point wave looks like in your mind's eye we all agreed that's what it is so right. you go from there well there were the ross clark jones wave that we already talked about that was insane it closed out in the middle of the bay but he kicked out before the closeout. And I don't blame him. <laughs> no, but I wanted to see him go. That would have been, no, he would have been killed. I wanted to see him straighten out before the closeout and like try to get outrun the white or stay in front of the whitewash and then surf it to the inside shore break. I had, I would have liked to see Same that thing too. with John John. When John John's yeah. final score, he should have done that too. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Listen to us. You should have done it, you guys. Yeah. I will say that pussy, I saw a, a, a tweet or an Instagram from Maurice Cole that, that, um, that, Ross Clark Jones had torn had torn some cartilage in his ribs, had separated some ribs, and was pretty beat up in the event. Yeah, during oh, the I event. didn't know that. Yeah, whoa, gnarly. Yeah, because he did have one or two wipeouts for sure that were pretty gnarly. Well, the other thing in terms of um, Brock references was Kelly Slater's final wave of the event where he got shacked on it. Yeah, that was pretty rad. I mean that that thing looks. What was the score on that wave? Like an eighty nine or something? I or? don't. I don't think I saw it. Yeah. Well, I mean, Brock, so they were showing throughout the event some throwback footage of Brock, and one of his more famous rides that he got out there during the eddy was getting barreled, like yeah. proper barreled on, yeah. the, on the bowl. Like. And Kelly, who I said looked like he was being playful and not really trying to get the biggest waves, in hindsight looked like he was just trying to do exactly what Brock had done in that footage because he was sitting on the inside bowl he was knifing in and hugging the wall and he got the exact wave he was looking for with two minutes left in the heat and surfed it perfectly and almost identically to what Brock had done previously Kelly then connected it to the inside and went on the shore break which the shore break didn't really turn out to double up as big as we had hoped it to but he still caught it and pulled in i thought that brock's wave looked bigger okay his, i thought his tube was a little just a bigger wave a bigger tube okay but whatever i mean we're nitpicking i mean but kelly did it 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Kelly. No, that doesn't surprise me. That was the only tube of the event. I mean. And he, like, willed it to himself. He did. You know, as Kelly does. But it was so magical to see. There were so many moments like that in this event that were just, like, magic. Yeah, there was a lot of magic, a lot of mana, if you will. Totally. A lot of Hawaiian mojo going down there. I absolutely loved every minute of it. Yeah, it was, a, it was a stellar event. I mean, like I said, we will praise, and they deserve all the praise and more. And by the way, Jamie O'Brien, is he indestructible? I know. There was that one wipeout where he thought he was going to die. Where the thing, like he, he had no speed. He did the bottom turn, had no speed, and the thing landed on his head. He's I thought indestructible. He kind of landed on his hips almost. Like it was like a leg breaker. I know. That, the stuff that he does at pipeline and backdoor and board transfers and, and going out in shore break on like rafts and stuff. I mean, he's surfing waves that would be. I mean, I wouldn't even consider ever paddling out into, and he's getting he's, hit and wiped, getting knocked out. He's like from the, good stock, that kid. It's he's, insane. I know that you know Jamie has had some pretty radical uh, injuries. Broke he's, his leg three times. Femur, two in both legs, and then one of them twice. So he has he yeah. has been beat up. Gnarly. That's pretty heavy. But I mean, he's indestructible. He just gets back out there and does it again. There was a couple of wipeouts where he went, okay, that one really hurt. And one of them Twiggy. was that one. And Twiggy did a frame. Danilo, free was it Danilo Quoto or the other goofy foot that had a wipeout from the top? That- well, I saw um, Nathan Fletcher after his heat. They thought, you're right, they called it as Danilo, but it wasn't. It was Nathan from the previous heat who was wearing the same color jersey. Um, that was gnarly. That was super gnarly. There was a couple of guys that were sort of no-shows. For instance, Ian Walsh. Yeah. Like, what happened to Ian Walsh? Like, is he just so tuned into perfect form, clean, relatively speaking, Piahi, that yeah. when you've got, like, gurgling, backwashy, massive, huge, disheveled YMA, it's, it's kind of a meaner playing field in, yeah. in some respects. I agree. That probably is what happened. And it's not to say that he was backing out. It's no, just no, no, no. He was sitting in the wrong position. Like, you don't positioning out there is key you know there's there's a right spot to be it's not as predictable as piahi obviously but i guess it's like you know ben wilkinson said and all of them feel it's just an honor for just to be for those guys to be out there and to to get to surf in honor of eddie aikau is it's pretty insane so they're all winners i hate to be that guy but that's sort of the case well more so in this event than any other i would say and one other uh performance that i thought is worth noting was koa rothman goofy footer some big wipeouts i mean he was charging it yeah he was spinning and going on the latest steepest drops goofy footed and yeah getting smashed basic i mean he'd make the drops but then he'd get smashed at the bottom but he would still go he just kept going so well the top five john john florence with 301 points ross clark jones with 278 points shane dorian 270 points jamie mitchell 249 and rounding out the top five in fifth place, Kelly Slater with 238 points. Yeah, and they say basically nobody wins with less than 300. So John John barely squeaked. Really? Well, in the past, oh, in yeah. general. It's not that you can't. It's right. that past winners generally have more than 300 points. Yeah. Um, but so John, but the question kind of was, why didn't we see, considering the waves are as big and as good as an Eddie's ever been, why was it such a low scoring Eddie? I 
Well, I think part of it was there was an emphasis on making the wave and making it through the whitewash. Yeah. In the past, if you just made the drop, I think you got a pretty big score. They're like, okay, that was heavy, you know? Yeah. So I think that there was some WSL influence from the judging panel that was like, hey, okay, this one, not only you got to make the drop, but we want to see you finish out in the channel. Right. And that's They're requiring help. the best out of the service. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I don't think they were wrong. And like, it doesn't bother me that the scores were lower. No, and there's been a push amongst the big wave fraternity, so to speak, that we need to start scoring completed rides. You just right. can't make a big drop. Right, yeah. Phenomenal event, man. Do you have non-Eddy-related surf talk? I have one thing. I've got a few things, so. We probably have the same thing. The big news, right, is that um, no McFanning, no Owen Wright on so, the WSL. Yeah, we got WSL talk. That's the second half of the show, WSL talk. All right, Snapper Hashtag. Rocks Hashtag. coming up. Yeah. Picking John John to win the world title, let it be known right now. Well, you asked me at the end of last season who would be my front runner going into this year, and I said... You said Adam Melling. No, I said Owen. Matt Banning. Owen. I said, Carlos Menuz. I said <laughs> Owen, and now he just... Owen's out. For the first half. Owen's he's, out well, he's not going to win the world title. No, exactly, exactly. Well, let's start with Mick Fanning. So Mick Fanning announced that he's taking a personal year. He's hey, gonna, by the way, you and I are taking personal years too. What does that mean, personal year? <laughs> what, what does that mean? When you're a pro surfer and you get to take a personal year, you've made it. That, that is a great point. Well, um, he deserves it. I will start off. Dane Reynolds saying. has been taking personal years forever. <laughs> His whole career is a personal year. That's hilarious. Dane's <laughs> taking a personal career. <laughs> per, hashtag um, personal career, Dane Reynolds. Serious. So. Essentially, Mick Fanning's taking a personal year, meaning that he's going to still do select events like J-Bay, but he's not going to commit to doing the full season. So in 2015, he survived, let's let's n label him, number one, a shark attack at J-Bay. Right. Proper attack, dude. Proper attack. That wasn't a shark encounter. I don't know if it was an attack. No, no it, was a, it no, was an attack. No, no, How dare you? The shark was just nuzzling up next to him to give a sniff. Bit, it, bit his leash. You have a six-foot leash? That was just... That Dude, was happenstance. If a shark, if what a that shark was. Clomp, clomp, clomps his mouth within six feet of you, that's an attack. That's officially an attack. <laughs> and I would like to see you ex survive the same thing and say otherwise. No, no. I you, first thing you I've do, soiled my wetsuit many times over just watching it. Yeah. So survives a shark. Yes, attack at J Bay. Survived. I mean, experienced his brother dying the night before the finals of the final day of the pipe master event this past on the verge year. of winning a world title potentially crazy crazy potential world title yeah uh and he went out and freaking ripped by the way yes. it, despite that information um separated from his wife this yes. year which yep. didn't actually come out in the news until january no, but you got to figure the whole year there's been there's been some well you don't have to figure it he had said that they were dealing with it throughout yeah, the course right. of the year so he was dealing with that throughout the whole course of the year while he's going for his world title yeah so absolute insanity so um Mick said, quote, that, or I'm sorry, this isn't his quote. This was a WSL quote they, in their statement. But they said that he's heard from some that they've regretted retirement. So they go through difficulties like this and then just go, oh, you know what? I have to retire from surfing now because I can't give it 100%. So I'm going to back out. So he's heard that people regret retirement. And he's heard from others that time off has re-energized there. Well, Kelly Slater set the precedent for this, didn't he? Did, he did, yeah. And I'll... I've got a freaky conspiracy theory that I'm going to share with you. Let me finish my quote. Okay. Uh, and he said, I think that where I'm at, I don't want to turn my back on the tour, but it's because it's given me so much throughout the years. 
Uh, it's giving me everything that I have today. So I still want to stay connected with the tour, but need to sort out some stuff, basically. And I think that's fair. And I think after I think three so world smart. titles, you you have the right to do that. Completely. Absolutely. And he also, this is his 14th year on tour. Um, now, what does it mean for requalifying? I'm sorry to interrupt. That's a good question. And I don't know. I didn't read that part of the does statement. Does he just get like it. a free pass? Or does he have to do the QS? Or is he just doing, is he counting that he'll do well enough in those four events that he surfs that he'll qualify? Some sort of wild card situation. I'm not sure. I really don't know what they have for this. But um, basically he said that, or this is, last year was his 14th straight year on tour. And he's been in contention for the world title for the last four years. And he said- That takes a lot out of you. Yeah, quote, it takes a toll on your body and mind. So How old is he? Don't know. I'm, I'm going to say he's 33, right around there. something like that. Yeah, right around so there. So he takes a year off. He'll be 30. Let's say he'll be 33. It's going to take him a year to get his competitive bearing back. Even if he does well, even though he's a three-time world champion, he's probably not going to win when he's 34. So can he win a world title when he's 35, 36, say two years after his comeback? I don't know, but uh, uh, to argue Without against- a really solid... We'll air talk, game well to argue against what you just said about it taking time to come back competitively owen wright came back from his back injury straight into a world title contention yeah but owen's 24 or whatever good point yeah so here's my conspiracy theory you. okay let's hear it. you ready or do you have more no no no. i want to hear it actually I'm- my conspiracy theory is this mick's taking a personal year right the guy's a rip curl like killer let's do some search stuff let's do some videos let's let's this is going to be the year of we're going to get a bunch of footage of Mick going crazy all over the world, having a good time. You know what would be great? <laughs> is if we had our other A player, Owen Wright, along with him. So since the concept of brain trauma is no one really knows, we can just kind of say, Owen, take the year off. No one's going to be able to say, what do you mean? You're all healed from your broken arm. It's a brain. There's brain trauma. Nobody knows you know, it's going to be good for you to just kind of take it easy this year. Why don't you just take it easy this year? They're join join Mick Fanning on the search. You've got the two Rip Curl guys. Rip Curl marketing guys are salivating at the mouth, frothing bubbles because they get Mick and Owen all year long to go get photo shoots, video parts, video segments, blah, blah, blah. That's my freaky conspiracy theory. That's and that's that. just what it is. It's is. I'm not saying this is truth. This is all just me riffing, thinking about it. Well, that's not that outlandish of an idea anyways. Well, uh, thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, that is practical. Um, they've already got Gabriel Medina on their team going for a world title. How many title contenders do they really need in, in the mix on the tour, you know? And Steph Gilmore, right? No, Steph's on Oh, quick. that's right. Sorry. They made She's that huge mistake a few years ago. She's been on so. quick for a while. I know. Yeah, whatever. But so, yeah, I don't know about that. So, I mean, that kind of buries the lead, which you started with, which is that Owen also withdrew from the first six events of the season due to his head injury at Pipeline this year. By right the way, the I don't Masters. mean to, to, to downplay. I know that I was a traumatic injury oh, yeah, at Pipe, yeah, yeah. and I know that, that, that I'm sure he's dealing with it. Just conspiracy theory wise it all it all seems to make sense if you're well then let me ask you're on the internet creating these things let me ask you this as the marketing uh guy in this fictitious scenario that you just drew i'm neil ridgeway okay is it more valuable to have owen on the search than it is to have him on the tour well owen and mick on the search while gabe wins a world title that sounds good to me that would be ideal yes that would be ideal um 
how do you feel about Mick on the search versus? I mean, his his surfing is so well suited for contest format. Yeah. Do you care about seeing him on the search? Uh, do you watch you know, Mick Fanning free surf footage? I do. I've been watching the stuff at Snapper, and it's been insane. It's been killer. Mass. I I like the way. I I don't. I wouldn't have a problem. I'm sort of old school. Like the new school kids might want to watch Felipe or whatever, but yeah. I like solid power surfing. I don't think it ever goes away. I don't think it ever should. And um, and it's so much more than that. It is. I'm just saying like... It's so precise. He's kind of like... He's... He's... Everything Taylor Knox wishes he was. <laughs> yeah, he's and like they're buddies. Yeah. No, I know. And I'm just... Taylor's an incredible surfer. I'm just... But I agree with but you. But you know what I mean? He's like Taylor Knox on steroids. He really is. He's... I mean, what I... He's got that power rail, cut back, heavy gaff. He does it all in the insane tube riding style just you know and he actually has some good air you know he, he'll pull out some air stuff I, yeah. yeah but I'll roll my eyes at that yeah you did roll your eyes at that but that one those top turns that he does where he busts the fins free and sort of slides his board along the top rail of the wave those are yeah, pretty he does, cool yeah he does fins free stuff for yeah. sure if it's not a full-on air but for me what mick fanning is is precise like his his surfing is surgical and surgical it, it has all of the power that you're talking about but it also has... It's spot on. It's so spot on. There's not I a mean, drop of water out of place, not a fin turn out of not, order. Not a fib- muscle fiber out of place right. either. Like his form is just so precise. Right. The He's hair, got, the breathing, the air molecules around him, all in sync. Curran-esque form. Wait a minute. Not, not style. Blasphemy. I didn't say style. Don't get blasphemy. I said Curran-esque form. Okay, don't even go there, okay? you right, That's sorry. enough. Of that Don't mention... You're not allowed to mention Curran. I agree. I know. I'm sorry. I take it back. Can we edit this part of the show out? No, this needs to stay in. So, yeah, interesting um, story from Mick there. And bummer for Owen because Owen, I think, I mean, he was, uh, he had a style. Owen, Owen three years ago had a style that I did not care about at all. I was just like contest surfer. I don't know how he's competing with Kelly for a world title. But ever since he came back from his injury, I don't know if he's got more panache or flair or what, but like I fell in love with Owen this past year. You've you've fallen in love on this show alone with a couple of guys, Owen yeah. and Ross Clark Jones, and and Mick, to be honest. <laughs> Over the course of the last year, though, Mick, but it has been on this show. Oh my! Um, so another pull, somebody that's pulling out of first event of the season is Bede Durbich. Who? Remember the guy huh? who had his pelvis <laughs> fractured at Pipeline? Look, Bede's the nicest human in the world. I want Bede to run for like um, MP over there. What do they call it? MPs? Not or sure. MP, PM, Prime Minister. Oh, yeah, yeah, Beach yeah. should yeah. be the Prime Minister of Australia. Like, he's like, he'd be the perfect, like, Secretary of Tourism or something. You Fair know? enough. Like, that's where I see Beat. You know, see, just stay off the tour, start running for political office. If he runs for that, I, I want, will, well, you can vote for him, and I want somebody to run against him, and that is Ace Buckin, and I'll vote for Ace. Because I think Ace deserves that job as well. We don't need him on the tour anymore. <laughs> I think just bump him off the tour. Like, there's a lot of opportunity. Kieran Perot better just watch his ass. He's really we've got better. Two guys that we would love to just see fly off the tour and into that position as commissioner. Coming in hot. Yes. Well, so Bede fractured his pelvis at Pipeline last year. Very all, sad. In Gnarly. a dramatic fashion. Yeah. So he's going to be sitting out. Um, dealing with that injury still and he's actually going to be in the commentating booth for the quickie pro well that could be really good i think it's a great move what did you think of freddie p because in my eyes this is like okay freddie p is going to be in the booth with the wsl i like the concept i don't think freddie's that insightful to be honest 
I love professional surfers in that position. Freddie, to me, I like his positivity, but I don't feel like he really brings me any insight like Kelly does. I mean, when Kelly's in there, it's like unbelievable. Well, I almost feel because I I agree with what you're saying, and I I because you and I have both talked about this. We're like, put Freddie P in the booth; he'll be great. Because I've interviewed him, you've seen him, and when he's sort of on his own, he's he's much more engaging, and he's a little bit more biting mm-hmm. in and, posting interviews. And yeah, stuff. like, yeah. and I think that they put the muzzle on him a little bit, and you got to take the muzzle off. You got to be like Freddie P. Just tell us what you think. Don't and, and, I don't want you to have to worry about you know your boss going, dude. You can't say that. Yeah. But to me, the power in Freddie P is he's the Johnny Miller of the surf broadcast. I fully agree, and but I don't know that there was a muzzle so much. I don't as, either. It was probably self imposed. But no, he thought but, he had to perform. No, but I don't know if it's even that or if it's just that it's the Eddie, and so the Eddie, you just he was just overwhelmed with positivity for the Eddie. But if it's like hardcore competition cutthroat cutthroat competition at snapper he might not feel that way and there was probably a bit and again you and i are assuming a ton here freddie i've always got and and again this is just me riffing i don't know if this is the case but he just sits down and for 10 minutes you've heard you hear him go and you're like that guy's great he'd be great in the booth you give him eight hours and i think Mm. it'd be good if you do some homework so that you come to the booth prepared with stuff right because you can only riff for 10 minutes at a time without any material before it's like okay as you and i know yes exactly (laughs) (laughs) why this show's already going too long yeah um so bead will be in the commentary. That could be booth really good for quick. Well, the thing is, we think we don't know. Do, will it be? Yeah, I'm yeah, not sure. We don't know, but I've never heard. But anything's better of, than him with a jersey. <laughs> oh, brutal! No, okay, yes. So, uh, I mean, to be honest, I don't know anything about bead, and I've only ever heard him in post heat interviews. He's like the quiet, so, awkward Aussie. He's like Simon Anderson without the beer. Is he quiet? I mean, I don't know that. Do I mean, that's just the vibe you get is that he's just a quiet gentleman Australian. He seems to be mild-mannered. That's why mannered. he needs to run. He is. He's, he seems to be mild-mannered. So it'll be interesting. He's prime minister of mild-manneredness. That he would win, without a doubt. That fell flat on its face, didn't it? Um, no, it's okay. Right. So I like the idea, though. I like that the yeah. WSL I'm willing for. I'm willing for anybody new in the booth. Yeah. Keep them coming. Let's yeah. churn through them. Well, I like it. So the event starts, the event window for Snapper... Gold Coast starts March 10th, which, yes. which is coming up. March 10th. Uh, so you and I we need, need to, to promote pre- Fantasy Surfer, dude. Yeah, we do. Fantasy, Fantasy Surfer. Surfer. That's to, right. I have, lost a hundred and something dollars last year doing it, and you yeah. made a hundred and something dollars. Yeah, buddy. Wow. So uh, FantasySurfer.com is the... There's also... WSL has their old Fantasy Surf fantasy oh, surfing. by the way, yeah. the Fantasy Surfer Commissioner, my friend Ray Bergman, wants to come on the show. He's on the East Coast, so we have to somehow figure out a way to Skype him in and do a whole show with Ray. Where on the East Coast? Nor- uh, South Carolina. I'm going next week. I'll meet up with him, dude. That's not cool. I, this is my interview. We don't, you You're don't need to be there. my interview right now. You don't now. even need to be there, dude. I'm, if, we, if you can, I'd love Skype to be there. Skype you in? Well, he, I mean... It's, I, yeah, I want to be involved in the. Con- yeah. I think it'd be okay. fun if we were both in it. But I mean, look, if you're going, you should go. When you it. say commissioner, what do you mean? Like oh, he, fantasysurfer.com? He, yeah, for Surfer Magazine, he, he okay. runs it for for Surfer Magazine. Okay, sweet. Yeah, I'll I'll set you okay, up. With yeah, him. We'll I would love to be in on the conversation because I just think, quite frankly, it would be a great whole show, like yeah. with you, me, and Ray, because Ray can riff on some good stuff. Okay, sweet. Well, I like it. So we need. Uh, by the way, we have a clubhouse. On fantasysurfer.com, it's the Surf Splendor. Go to Clubhouse, search that, and you can find it. Last season, at the end of the season, I think there was 280 people in it, and um, 
Scott and I also allow people to wager if you'd like. You can send 10 bucks. It's not called wagering. It's called a cash play. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. You got to get the semantics right for the legally. Well, I hold this account offshore, so it's all good. Okay. We're in <laughs> Very good. international yeah. waters is where the <laughs> bank account is located. So um, at any rate, if you want to play in that, go to... Uh, actually, go to surfsplendorpodcast.com, and then there's a Fantasy Surfer tab. All of the explanation for how to play and also how to cash pool is all there. So go there. And how much is it? Is it 10 bucks an event? We were doing $10 per event. Yeah. Winner take all. Right. So usually 20 to 30 people would actually bet. Right. And then one person would win 200 And how many times bucks. did you, the, the guy with the escrow account, win? Uh, actually zero, except on the women's side. Oh, wait. <laughs> I, in the women's pool, I won the entire season. It was amazing. <laughs> that says it all. <laughs> I won multiple events and and the entire season. Oh my god! <laughs> You're just pissed because you didn't. I just I just don't follow the the women's side as closely as you do. So I don't want to. I I need you know because this isn't quote unquote gambling. This is this is um. We're knowledgeable. We have intelligence about like what do they call that? Like the insider trading. Then if no. we're knowledgeable, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm losing it. Anyway. All right. Well, do you have um, musty moment? Cook and do. Uh, you know, I I don't have anything. Well, planned. let me give you mine. Yeah. So my musty moment is definitely the throwback footage of Brock Little at Waimea Bay, all from the WSL's um, pro uh, broadcast. You know, feed. Amazing stuff. And sh- uh, interviewing him, when, what was he, 16 or 18 in that interview that yeah. they were doing with him? Yeah. Young Brock Little. I mean, I loved it. And um, we didn't mention that Brock Little passed away. I mean, that happened between our last show and now. Yeah. We talked about him in our last show, yeah. having gotten cancer and only really living with it or knowing about it for a month prior to dying. Uh, but he did pass away. And so we'd like to honor Bro- uh, Brock with that footage. And uh, yeah, incredible stuff. Brock was sort of one of a kind. I mean, we I guess we're all one of a kind, and that sounds a little cliche, but I mean, he he was definitely salty a little bit and cantankerous and 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 spoke his mind and was opinionated and um, and and of course, just like a big wave charger. You know what I really enjoyed was the, the commentary that a lot of the guys, Freddie P, yeah. especially had about Brock. Agreed. And, Kelly Slater in a post-heat interview got emotional, started tearing up about it. Yeah, that was so. Yeah, Rock, rest in peace. This is that's just horrible. Forty-eight years old, way too young. And, way too young. Um, so little time to make preparation too, because he didn't know about it until you know a month prior. Um, my my kook, pretty significant kook actually. Um, and this article was sent to me by a listener on SurfSplendorPodcast.com. Richard is his name. And he didn't leave a last name, but basically it's uh, Rip Curl, the iconic surfwear brand oh, yeah. who has sold millions of dollars of clothing that was made in North Korea where yes. factory workers endure slave-like There's conditions. There's pictures of Kim Jong-un wearing the Rip Shut Curl up. mountaining gear. Shut up. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> so um, on, on this clothing that was made in North Korea, the labels actually say that it was made in China. The CEO, Tony Roberts, came out in a statement and said that they became aware of this issue only after the clothes had been shipped to retailers. And it's a case of one of their suppliers subcontracting out to an unapproved subcontractor in an unapproved factory in an unapproved country. Obviously it's a breach of their supply of their, you know, supplier terms and policies. 
but it did happen and it's documented and the factory is in pyongyang and it's well documented that workers in north korea are routinely exploited north korean defectors have told investigators from uh ngos including human rights watch that employees are forced to work long hours with minimal and sometimes no pay workers who do <laughs> no not pay that's not work <laughs> workers who do not obey the orders are uh imprisoned killed yeah no? they're literally imprisoned in work camps so this well, whole thing was exposed they have video footage of yeah, it, all it's that really stuff. bad pr and i know they tried to put the kibosh on it and I think the the one thing that, that they may have done that I don't remember seeing, but I think the one thing that they could have done if they didn't, in fact, already do this is say, we have already um, fired the contractor in China that was supposed to be making our stuff. Like if they're saying, look, it was a subcontractor in China that did this without our knowledge. Well, then you need to say, and we fired him yesterday as soon as we heard right. about it. And I don't think I got that. And if and I didn't if I that. did, they didn't put it front and center in the press. And I think that would have been the thing where they because certainly it's not something that they're proud of. They don't, you know, this is a nightmare for them. And but it would have been smart, I think. Um uh Yeah. I you know, agree. what do you call that? Not risk management, but it would have just been good PR to immediately go damage control. Damn it, thank you. Damage control. They would have boom, they're out. Those guys are out. I agree. We apologize. Never happen again. And we've implemented a new vice president of contractor ethos or whatever the hell right. you want to call it that all they do is oversee this stuff. So this will never happen again. I promise you. And by the way, here's uh, an endowment for X amount of dollars to the Human Rights Watch. You know, it's not like they could have done a little bit more. I think. They, they could hire you. Yeah. A PR guy. I know. I mean, well, it's not brain surgery. The... One other element that I saw that was critical that I don't know how I feel about it was Rip Curl didn't come out. They knew about this information. It took the article in the Sydney the Morning exposure. Herald for them. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody had to actually expose it for them to acknowledge it, but yeah. they did know about it. So the human, you know, rights advocates or whatever were saying, like, look, if you guys knew about it, you have a moral obligation to your customers to let them know that the clothing that they're wearing is being made in these slave-like conditions, which, I, I again, I don't know how I feel about that. And if I were the company, I don't know that I would share that information willingly, but they do have a point. Here's my conspiracy theory on this. You have another? I do. It just yeah, came up dude. with it. What are you doing in this garage all day? You just sit here and like... <laughs> the, the guy who outed Rip Curl was I think an Australian businessman or some businessman that somehow or another was getting a free tour of this yeah. of based on, I don't even know how he got, but he's in North Korea on this tour and he sees rip curl items and he starts secretly taking pictures of the made in China um, logo on the made in Korea clothing. And then he comes back and he like blows it up on Australian um, news in the Australian news press. Is there, and so here's my conspiracy theory. Is he a competitor of Rip Curl? Like, why wouldn't you just go to Rip Curl and go, hey, man, I want you to know this happened. Right. Like, what's his agenda? Why would he go in there and go, Rip Curl is a bad company. Look what I found. You know, like, yeah. wouldn't you think, like, the smart thing to do is go, hey, I've got, I found some information. You know, you might, you know, I don't know. I don't totally. know why, but part of me, when I first read it, I went, who is this guy? And why is he out to, like, yeah, yeah. Bring Rip Curl through the ringer here. I agree. And even if he's not a direct competitor, people just like taking down the giant, you know, and like like to see people rise to fame and we like to tear him down too. 
It's human nature. That's sad. It is sad. It is what it is. That's so what we do on the show. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, just kidding. So my Duke this week yes. is Albie Layer. Nice. For his proper shack at Jaws. Did you see this? I heard about it. I have not seen it yet. Holy cow. Uh, takes off late on an inside runner that's about to hit the bowl and kind of free fall drops the first half, stomps it, goes immediately into a bottom turn, tucks in high, and gets a long, deep barrel. People are saying it's the deepest barrel ever at Jaws, but I mean, it's deep. The angle that's looking into the barrel, he disappears on completely. He said, and we've talked about Albie on this show, who he always kind of sits on that inside ball as opposed to sitting outside. He said on his Instagram post, like, that's the wave I've been waiting for. That's what I've been trying to do out there for all these years. And uh, he does it really, really well. So it's on his Instagram. WSL posted an Instagram of it. I'll post it on surfsplendorpodcast.com, of course, at the bottom of the page in the Duke section. Yeah, but cool. shout out to Albie because right on, on a day that was completely all eyes were focused on Eddie, the Eddie, the Broxwell at the Eddie Icow event, that's what Albie was doing. So Sweet. shout out. And a couple of quick notes that I just thought of. I got a comment on the website from a new listener. Listen to last week's episode. And they said, uh, they're like, hey, man, you were talking all about the Eddie. Why didn't you talk about the 30 for 30 documentary on the Eddie? Well, Matt, we did talk about that in previous shows. So we didn't we didn't cover it in last week's episode, but we definitely have covered how great that is. What was it made by Sam George? Was yeah, Sam George that? and yeah, um, yeah Sam, so, maybe Paul Toblieb, I think, was involved in that He too. was a producer on it or something. So anybody who hasn't yet seen that, definitely Eddie Icow's 30 for 30 documentary is well worth watching, especially in light of oh, the I event that just Oh, I just remembered happened. some WSL rumor mill parking lot stuff that was Drop it. shared with me. I don't know if this is true or not. Okay. This is just rumor and innuendo. But I heard that Target has dropped from the WSL uh, women's event at Honolulu Bay. Right. Now, again, unsubstantiated, could be total BS, probably is total BS, but somebody on the inside who knows what's going on gave me that insight. Do you have any? I don't have any ver any way to verify that, but I did, I think this past year they dropped their North Shore house where you know, they only have two writers, Chloe Andino and Carissa Moore. So I think that it was hard to justify that expense probably that they, but they had that for a number of years. So they're no longer doing their North Shore house where all other surf brands do have, you know, a house during the winter season. Um, so that wouldn't surprise me. Also Fox, it was, somebody posted something that Fox Surf is kind of backing out as well. Like Fox as a brand will still be in business, but they're backing out of the surf game. I know they dropped Chippa Wilson. I don't know where Bede Dervich and Keanu Asing stand. Um, and they lost Caroline Marks, who's this phenom female Grom who's been winning everything. And I know she's on Quicksilver now. So I think oftentimes what happens is they have, even if they decide to back out of the surf sphere, they have to honor the contracts still. So maybe Bede and Keanu, Keanu have a few months left or a year left on their contract or something that they got to honor, but we might not see a lot of Fox surfing anymore. Okay. So I know you're devastated by that, Scott. I'm, you know, that's, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. And what else you got? So that's it, dude. I did my Duke and kook. That is it. Very well. Um, I guess 
until next time, well, we're yeah. going to come back in a, before March 10th and have a I'm gonna be, snapper beginning of the season fantasy surfer showdown. I wish we could. I'm going to be out of town. Maybe we do it remotely. Uh, where are you we'll talk, going? We'll talk Carolinas, buddy. What for? Work. Uh. Record a podcast with your buddy. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my Lordy. I'm going to be on the phone with him tonight doing my... <laughs> <laughs> I'm on here. I'm trying to find the women's events to see if there's any news about that. Okay. Um, Target dropping from Honolulu. Yeah. Let's see here. Yeah, you got it. Scroll down. Scroll down? Yep, just scroll down. So, just says Maui Women's Pro. Maui Women's Pro. Target's name is removed because the France event has Roxy Women's Pro attached to it. Yeah. But it just says Maui Women's Pro. There's no Target. Oh, well. Interesting. What are you going to do? Interesting. Anyway, until next time, uh, for David and Scott, adios and aloha. And there you go surfsplendorpodcast.com is where you find everything that we discussed in this episode and of course check out the fantasy surfer uh, page that we have on our website that shows you how to sign up on fantasysurfer.com and then find the surf splendor clubhouse all you got to do is click to join the clubhouse and then when you set your team it automatically includes you in our clubhouse your scores are automatically updated all that sort of thing and it ranks everybody so it's super simple to do. There's a forum in there for you to leave comments and people kind of get into a little banter. And then if you'd like to submit $10 and play in our fantasy pool, the instructions for how to do that are also on our webpage on surfsplendorpodcast.com. It's always fun. Winner takes all. So somebody's always psyched at the end of that. Winner takes all per event. So um, someone's always psyched. All right. I believe that's all really the information I have for you for this week. Um, at Surf Splendor is our social media handle on Instagram and Twitter. Chime in there. I'm going to post videos of, or I, I, if I haven't already, I'm going to post videos of the comparison shots of Brock Little's wave versus Mason, the big wipeout, and then his barrel versus Kelly's. Pretty remarkable stuff. Pretty magical. So definitely look on our Instagram for that. Tag somebody else in it. Help us grow that thing that way. We rely on you to spread the word because all we really focus on is producing content for you. All right. With that in mind, I will bid you adieu and say thank you. And until next week, this is David Scales reminding you, get in the water, get a couple waves, and shred on. And I wake up in the night Across the mountainside Sleep is satisfied I build with burning tires Sunlight on your eyelids You sleep in Oh, oh Dreaming Oh Oh